Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season eight episode one. Yay, a new season. It's a new season, ladies and gentlemen. We're coming to you today from Columbus, Ohio, home of Smith's German Restaurant. Hmm. There's a whole German part of the south end of Columbus and a great restaurant to eat at if you like German food. Come on over and then come visit us at the national office in Reynoldsburg. I'm Terry, church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I am Alan, Eastern PA Alliance Director of Development. And uh, at the end of a stretched cord, because he's standing a long way away from Alan and me, is Isaac Charles, our producer. Glad to have you along, Isaac. And our guest today, our interviewee, is Michael Carrion, the uh, pastor of Promised Land Covenant Church and the leader, a leader of Redeemer City to City in New York City. Alan, what do you like about Michael? Well, if you're going to listen to this episode and not be uh, inspired and motivated to think about reaching the lost through church planning, then you might want to get your pulse checked. That's the first thing I'm going to say. Yep. Uh, plus, he brings all of his energy and the uh, seven different lives that he's lived already yep. uh, into that, that experience, that wisdom, that faith. To believe that that revival can come, that lives can be changed, that global cities can be turned around uh, with you know fifteen percent tipping point of of churches being planted and people coming to know Christ can change everything for a global city. So his enthusiasm overflows, and uh, it just I know that we are on the right track in the alliance and church planning, and I'm confident uh, that this kind of thinking is going to help us keep going. So grab yourself a Dr. Bill's spicy cherry pepper soda. <laughs> we are getting out there in our drinks, man. Yeah, but spicy yes, pepper is like when you got Michael Carry on coming on, that yeah, seems like an appropriate. It's spicy. It does. So it makes sense to so, uh, bring it in. I think you can drink this and still drive. I'm pretty sure. Sit back. I hope relax. So. <laughs> Here we go. And. Welcome to Equipping You Podcast, Michael. Great to have you with us today. Thanks for taking the time. Honored for the invitation. Thank you so much for the invitation and uh, uh, glad to be here. So uh, we like to allow our listeners to get to know our interviewees a bit. So um, if you can kind of give us a brief timeline of your spiritual journey from growing up to coming to know Christ to, to where you are today. And yeah, cool. if you yeah. can squeeze it in, we'd love to hear about how your grad work at Alliance Theological Seminary fit into your journey. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, I, I didn't grow up in a, in a church family, uh, per se. Uh, I grew up in a real poverty-stricken, drug-addicted reality. Wow. Uh, my father served 25 years in prison. My mother served seven years. So I grew up in prison, literally, wow. visiting with an immigrant grandmother from Puerto Rico. Um, and uh, as, as, as God would have it, uh, my mother and father 
Um, my father had a conversion experience in Greenhaven Penitentiary. Prison Fellowship reached out to him. Wow. And uh, a chaplain there, uh, right when he was about to commit suicide. And just this pastor loved on him, accepted him, uh, helped him walk through the real hard part of his life. Uh, and he fell in love with Jesus. And for the next 12 years, served as the assistant chaplain in Greenhaven until they moved him to Sing Sing, uh, where he also served in ministry there with Prison Fellowship. Wow. So my, my father was on a tour in Greenhaven, Sing Sing, Elmira, Valhalla, all these different level four uh, maximum security facilities. And my mother was doing six years uh, in Bedford Penitentiary for women. In 1975, they made the front page of papers across the metro New York area for a homicide that had been committed. And the witnesses said there were two children with the assailants. The two children were myself and my younger sister. Wow. So they were arrested arraigned. Uh, and then I was put in the system and my grandmother fought for me. She couldn't navigate. She didn't have a lot of English, but she got me out of the system. I, me and my sister Letty. And uh, we grew up in Spanish Harlem and in Spanish Harlem, you know, we went to um, public school and, you know, ran into the streets. And then my mother came home uh, from prison and uh, tried to reacclimate or reintegrate. Uh, she was very gifted and she was, um, able to get work and, you know, get on her feet and get clean and do that whole thing. And then, um, and then, you know, I just started running the streets, you know, uh, disconnected uh, with my mom. And, and then my father came out of jail when I was about 17 um, for a stent. And then, um, you know, getting to know him and now he's Holy Ghost fire and I'm a street kid running the streets. <laughs> he's trying to force me into the bucket of yeah. the church, and I just didn't work. I just, yeah. I was a knucklehead. I was already too, too, uh, too, too deeply ingrained in what I was doing, and so I didn't get, I didn't have a conversion experience in the traditional church orthodoxy. Uh, I, I went through a program called Teen Challenge. Yeah, so I found myself addicted yeah. to drugs and running the streets. And um, my friend David in 1988. He said, Mikey, I'm not going to leave you here on this corner. Either you go into this program or I'm going to arrest you myself. He was a newly appointed transit cop. And um, he loved me enough to tell me that. And yeah. David Velasquez took me to Bridgeport, Connecticut, where I went to Pivot Ministries, the first phase induction for Team Challenge. Um, that was in 1988. And uh, my wife and I were very young. Uh, she was pregnant with our, with our second son and waddling in the intake process. And then, you know, I was going in and out of Juvie, uh, Rikers Island. I was just caught up. And then um, uh, then that next day that they took me into Teen Challenge, I went to a Nikki Cruz campaign in New Haven, Connecticut. No way. Yeah. And, and Nikki, is 2,000 people. Nikki's in the heyday of his evangelism career. He starts to preach. I don't know what this guy is saying because his accent is so strong in English and Spanish that <laughs> I don't know what this guy was saying. But the anointing of God fell upon the altar call. Let me just put uh, it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. So I sat there for 45 minutes of preaching, like daydreaming. And then he said, if anybody here would like to accept Jesus. And I don't know what happened to me, brothers. I went from the back of that congregation all the way to the front of that altar. And I and I crying, didn't know why I was crying. Didn't know why I was so emotional. I was a very hard person at that time. I thought I knew everything. And I just surrendered my life. To, and I said this to the Lord, simple prayer. I said, if you're real, you know the hell my life has been. Yeah. If you are real, I'm going to give you this year. This program's a year. I'm going to give you this year. Touch me. Save me. Save my family. Save mm -hmm. my children. If 
you're real, please, please be real. That's awesome. And, and he showed himself real, brothers. Praise God. After that, um, I stood in the program, and three months in, I had an opportunity to leave and go back home. And I, I told, I told my wife at the time, I'm not going back home. God's a God of completion. She didn't even understand that language, because you know we were not, we were not churchgoers. But then that was it. I got saved, not in the church. So it's funny how I serve the church today. Uh, in the way that I do, because it was outside. But it was in that context of Teen Challenge and theocentric and clinical intervention that I was able to have a conversion experience, real discipleship, real spiritual formation, and then graduate throughout the phases. At the end of the the, the time, I graduated in 1993 and um, was top top five on the honors list out of 500 men on God's Mountain in Reersburg, Pennsylvania, had, had worked in the library literally was offered internships and residencies in Italy, uh, Michigan. I mean, literally, uh, Assemblies of God is a tremendous, huge missional organization. Yeah. And so the formation was there. So then now graduation, I'm coming home. I'm, I'm, I'm petrified to go back to New York. I'm saying, I'm going to, I don't want to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. I just don't, I don't deal with that. <laughs> and then I said, either the army, because I was young, I was 20, 20, 20 years old. I either, either the army, or if I don't get a job, I'm going into the army because I'm not going to get caught up in the streets again. And I got, I got home on Friday. I graduated. Check this out. February 26, 1993, on my birthday, I graduated. Wow. That Sunday, I wound up in a little charismatic Pentecostal church called La Iglesia La Gloria de Cristo, the Glory of Christ Church <laughs> with it. Pastor Raymond Talavera. Yeah. Um, and, and Pastor Ray, I walked in that first service, and this guy was preaching. He was one of the deacons, Miguel Delgado. And he said, if you need a job, come see me da -da -da, after the service. I went up to him, and then that was it. I started working with him at Goodwill Industries, and I started introduced to, to nonprofit. Fast forward, uh, got elevated in that church, uh, became a youth director, youth pastor, and then started planting churches in Central America as they were a Latin Caribbean church, very missional. Went to Guatemala. They started planting churches in Africa and uh, graduated their, their, their institute and then their seminary uh, for CLA, Latin American Council of Churches. Uh, and then after that, after 11 years, um, I moved to an Assemblies of God church called Harvest Fields Community Church. And there um, started teaching and preaching. And, and, and Dr. Mitchell Torres, senior pastor, said, we're going to send you to seminary because you came from a great fundamental background, but you're gifted. You're an academic. You're a hood academic. You're a hood nerd. So <laughs> that's hood nerd. Seminary, that's the first time I've heard that phrase. Yeah, hood nerd hood for nerd. real. <laughs> and so he sends me to Alliance Theological Seminary. One of the professors yeah. was one yeah. of our, was one of our, um, and then that was it. You know, uh, CMA professors, the Greek scholar, Dr. Glenn Shellrood, mentor, Dr. Stephen Bailey, director of missions yeah. in the years that I was there. Uh, Dr. Louis Carlo, the gateway, really was the one who embraced me, accepted mm. me, mm. Um, and then took me under his wing. He's a spiritual father. So mm. CMA has had so much to do with my formation, my yeah. development, the theological heroes and pioneers uh, of my formation. The seminary was really key for a, a positive deconstruction. I know that word deconstruction has been accosted and misappropriated uh, in a lot of ways, but it was a positive deconstruction of legalism, literalism, and you know, literous interpretation and so on. And so um, I had great, I almost planted a church, CMA, and I almost my yearning was to be a professor, but yeah, all well. my professors, uh, Dr. DeCaro and all of them, 
They were like, you, your personality is too big. You're going to die. <laughs> professor. They said, you're not, you're not, you could do it if you want to. You can adjunct. Adjunct is good for you. But if you, to lock your personality in a classroom, it would, you, it would, you would lose touch with the field. You would lose. So they gave me great counsel. Yeah. That was, that was the goal in my head. Yeah. Um, having, at the, within that time, I was working with a Nebraska-based uh, consulting firm that it, well, was born in the University of Nebraska uh, from the debate and the theory coach, Dr. Dean Curtis. And he was another mentor from across the country. And uh, I worked for them, traveled all over the United States, 37 states, teaching and lecturing in motivational theory and synergistic concepts. Uh, so I was doing master certification at University of Nebraska while pursuing a master of divinity and urban ministry at um, Alliance Theological uh, then after that, I came off the national circuit and accepted a job in one state only, became the <laughs> Jersey State Director. Yeah, because I was living out of a laptop in a hotel room. It was just crazy. Uh, and then after did that for 10 years and then came back and just took the state job. And then after the state job, came back and worked in New York as a social worker because my background is health and human services and social work. And so I did that. And then in the process, planted out of Harvest Fields. Uh, I was the executive director for Urban Youth Alliance, uh, which is the largest high school campus ministry movement in our region in the metro New York area. Uh, CMA also has a lot to do with uh, that, that movement. Okay. And um, from there, I uh, was approached by the Bakis, you know, the late uh, Ray, great Ray Baki just passed oh, away. Oh, yeah, yeah. But his brother, Dennis Baki, approached me about starting a school movement, a school that would be contextualized within the South Bronx but missional in the sense of helping another generation navigate to the social ills. So we did that. I dreamed a dream of a school, and then we started planting churches. And uh, next thing you know, uh, I was uh, working at an appointment with the city of New York. Uh, my last job you couldn't apply for. You had to be appointed by the city of New York and the council of HRA CAS. So I was the senior director of workforce development and vocational rehabilitation services for the city of New York for six years, supervising five boroughs development for um, patients with multiple diagnoses, transitioning from institutions, homelessness, and other you know, pockets of strain and stress, and then uh, helping them find vocation, health, employment, and then sustainability and independence from a broken lifestyle. That was ministry proper in my tent making. Meanwhile, I was also planting churches and pastoring and sending our missionaries through the Promised Land movement. Yeah. I landed in the Evangelical Covenant Church which is far from my charismatic Pentecostal. Yeah, rooms. for sure. But the covenant, <laughs> Swedish uh, high church. Yeah. Uh, but the covenant church specifically is not like the evangelical Lutheran church. It is the pietist movement out of Sweden. So it's really the Pentecostal charismatic movement, uh, mm -hmm. but they held on to the high church regalia. And so the static of difference in that tradition is very, very, um, I think is one of the, the, the fastest growing denominations now because wow. they deal with that static well. You know, we, we pray for the denominational. I don't know if the denominational age is over. I think CMA is thriving. I see AG is thriving. Some of the high church reformed uh, are struggling, are really struggling uh, denominations as we see it in our region. And so, but yeah, I'm a covenant pastor with real strong CMA formation and ties. Uh, and I held on to my sacramentalist theology as well as a robust pneumatology so yeah. i have an expectancy for the holy spirit Amen. the person of the spirit to move and to uh empower the church Amen. so yeah yeah I currently i'm the vice president of church planting for the last almost five years uh church planting and leadership development for redeemer city to city 
under the leadership of Dr. Timothy Keller, who's the founded Redeemer Presbyterian Church uh, several, several decades ago. And then uh, the church, uh, Redeemer Church Planting Center, which then turned into City to City, New York. And I supervise all church planting training, a catalytic movement um, and development and partner with all the denominations in our region. So I'm very close with the CMA historically through my own pathway information, but also in the partnership with uh, Kelvin Walker, who is your uh, your superintendent for New York. And that's my guy. I mean, he is man. one of the most, as a matter of fact, him and I shared the platform at Exponential. Yeah, that was and a great so, day, man. Yeah, that was, that was, that was, that was, that, that was and he dropped it. That brother. He did, preached, man. Bro. That was that fire. Brother, I, mean, I mean, it was, but it was New York on the stage. It was me, John Tyson, Kelvin Walker, and, and then Danielle Strickland too. She ripped it. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, that was yeah. a great morning, man. Yeah, that was yeah, a that great was, morning. Yeah, that was Fantastic. really good. Really good. Fantastic. Anyway, that's it. Uh, married 33 years, five adult children, four uh, beautiful grandchildren. I have three pit bulls. Three pit bulls. Wow. Three wow. Pit bulls, yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. I feel like yeah. you just told me about five different people. I don't know how that all fit into your life. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a condensed version. Yeah. yeah. Wow. There's a lot that's missing, but you know. That's yeah, funny. no, I, yeah. Wow. That was amazing. And, you know, along the way, you told us about some really influential people in your life. And so we're thankful you share that because we love to have our listeners know that. Yeah. So right now, the leadership, you just told us the one leadership hat you have right now and over and being the vice president for. Uh, leadership development for a city to city, New York City for church planning and leadership development. What other hats are you wearing right now? I'm a general overseer for Promised Land um, ministry movement. So I supervise uh, the pastors, coaching them. I'm pastor emeritus in my the church that I planted and my um, executive pastor is now the senior pastor with her husband. But I supervise our church plants in the North and South Bronx, also our charter school and now we're building a high school. Wow. So when we planted our church, Missio Day for us was not just incarnational prophetic proximity uh, to preach, teach, and evangelize, but we felt we had to be even more incarnational because of the social ills, racial profiling, systemic oppression, the, the f- food famine, the lack of resources in certain pockets of the city historically have been so detrimental and have contributed to margin space, staying margin space and not thriving uh, as when you look at the Bronx or Brooklyn versus Manhattan and parts of affluent Queens and Long Island. And so um, I supervise those movements, education. I never woke up and said, let's start schools, but as God would have it, that was that was what he put in our hearts and that's what we did. And wow. so um, I'm probably now down to the last three years of being the superintendent of our charter schools and uh, then launched the high school. And then we're praying for a younger, more assertive leader to come in and replace me as the, as more the assertive. Yeah, yeah. Sounds or like he's going to be super assertive. Yeah, good luck finding a more assertive leader. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more strategic. Maybe more strategic. Cause you know, you can be super assertive and you, you the hard lessons from, yeah. from, uh, wow. from being too wow. assertive. Hey, so you're, you're the vice president for church planning leadership development at Redeemer city. Talk to us about, uh, Redeemer City to City. What, talk uh, talk to us about the mission of Redeemer City to City. Uh, the, 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 the mission of Redeemer City to City is to see every global city in a state of revival with Jesus high and lifted up. Um, truly, that's, that's really it. Dr. Keller had a dream of not 
homogenized church, but a church of mon- many colors coming together from the center and the margins mm, uh, and, and, and tipping, tipping, especially in the New York paradigm and region, tipping the culture from New York, global cities influence parts of the world, not just their cities and their local regions. And so from New York, we want to, we want to increase that fifth to over 15% of churches to influence the city, the culture and the movement of what happens throughout the globe. And so the, 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 to see revival in every city, to empower local uh, Christian churches and becoming all they can be as according for the, the God's desire for them. That really is. So to we, we prayerfully and discernedly recruit healthy church planters because healthy church planters produce healthy churches. And then we don't want to just plant churches. You know, there's, in, the, in the covenant church, we use this metaphor or this, this frame. You can plant churches two ways, either the reptilian model or the mammalian model. And city to city is the mammalian model because a reptile can lay 500 eggs, it leaves, and maybe 20 of those eggs will hatch and because life circumstances. Yeah. Mammalian is slower, it's harder, more time, but the discipling and the formation and being in community creates a gravitas within the city. And so we partner with catalytic movements and, and if God is moving through CMA, the Assemblies of God, uh, Southern Baptist Convention, Anglican Church, as long as they're Orthodox, focused on Jesus, uh, and they're clear on that, uh, city to city wants to see Jesus high and lifted up through them. I so love that churches. kingdom yeah. partnership for yep. sure. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So tell us a little bit about the partnership you have with our Metro District. To me, that's inspiring for all of our Alliance family. And then, you know, Keller has been a champion for church planning as the best way to reach lost people. So tell us, yeah. uh, tell us why that matters as well. Why church planning? Well, uh, well I'll tell you, the, the first part is uh, the, the partnership with, with uh, CMA started pre-COVID. And Kelvin walked in. I met Kelvin at um, uh, at, at Alliance Theological Seminary. Uh, I'm, an, I'm a regular chapel speaker there uh, for the uh, for the seminary undergrad and grad. And I met uh, Professor Walker there first. And then I met him surprisingly at a meeting that they had requested. And it was about seven or eight different of the church planning regional team members come, and uh, they said we we know that we have got to contextualize and. We have a theological vision for the city and to see that come forward. We know we can't do it by ourselves. And we said, we can't do it by ourselves either. We would love to help and empower your planters uh, to that end. And that, that was it. But then after that COVID hit and just shut the whole thing down. Yeah. In between that, we've kept very close uh, communicating. Uh, whenever there's a, an issue, uh, churches gathering, uh, pastors meeting, CMA's front and center, um, Mozart and, and, and Kelvin are very, very active uh, and very intentional about partnering with and being in tune with what the Spirit is doing in the city of New York uh, and in Jersey. Uh, and so we're, we celebrate and we very, very much cherish our partnership with the Christian Missionary Alliance. And there's so many dots that are connected because of my own uh, formation uh, through, through your system, through your educational system at Alliance Theological. Um, why church planting? You know, Dr. Keller, uh, if you read his book, Center Church, yes. it is a powerful framework of how to exegete your city. Yes. And ultimately, um, to that end, uh, he believes in multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-class churches. I, the last, one of the few meetings 
we've had recently, he uh, he said to me, Michael, we made a mistake. COVID hits. He says, we made a mistake. And this is where we've got to learn. This is where you see the church is established within the age, but yet it's still being cha- challenged and growing. We had all this transfer growth in Center City. COVID hits and all the transfer growth goes back to the cities of origin because they don't really have roots. They work here. They make money here, but then they leave. We become, we celebrate our churches being filled, but then when these transfer leaves, our congregations go from 700 to 65 mm-hmm. on the social edict. Yeah. And then now how we have, now we have to uh, uh, learn a new evangelism uh, language to reach the neighbors that we walked over and walked by to celebrate and our transfer growth churches. We've, in some ways, we've created churches in our image, and we need to repent for that. Mm. We need to re-evangelize our communities, wow. exegete our communities, not just the uh, inter-translation of the original languages and the text and the social cultural interpretation necessary, but we need to know our people in our communities, reach them for the gospel, disciple them out of this consumeristic paradigm we've allowed to be the norm in Western evangelicalism. And I'll tell you, I mean, he just really drops it. He owns his own, um, and I don't think there are shortcomings, but he owns his own. He said, I could have done that better. We could have done this better. And when he looks back and he talks about, you know, he's brilliant. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, my mouth is often dry when I've got a tag team lecture with him because, you know, this Dr. Keller, this guy, you know, he's just, he's just like, uh, he's so smart and then so pastoral and so loving. And so mm-hmm. he has a heart for every global city. Uh, to see Jesus high and lifted up. Church planting because new converts come through new churches more than they do established churches. More evangelism happens through new churches than it does with established institutionalized churches. At City to City, we believe that the the minute a church becomes institutionalized, that's it. The clock starts ticking and a twin brother pops up. Institution then calls his brother fossilization. Because when you become so inward focused that the word uh, in that church expects people to come in and assimilate into their ecclesiology versus them being missional, incarnational, and outward focused in their community. You know, we need to have a parish modality that says, my church is not just this building, not just this block, but 10 blocks that way, 10 blocks northwest, east and south, a parish model that fully engages and uh, fully empowers the church. Uh, to be diverse, multi-class, and just rep- more representative of the biblical narrative. You know, I, I personally, as a person of color, share two cultures. I'm Afro-Latino. I am Black and Puerto Rican. So I'm Caribbean, but then I'm also of African-American heritage. So that duality has often made me feel uncomfortable. But in God's kingdom, I fit in on both spaces. Mm-hmm. And when you have a church where there's multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-class, there is a richness in God's diversity. It's, repli- it's, it's reflective of his intention and creation. And so we believe that. So churches that are intentionally multi-ethnic and then have a consciousness of mercy and justice yes. and love and are concerned. Um, you know, we as we plant churches now in a hopefully, po- and I say hopefully, post-COVID reality, yeah, because, you know, there's different variants. Yeah. As we plant churches now, we're hoping to see churches that are smaller, more strategic, more evangelism and discipleship focused in their formation, not so much mega pursuing. It used to be, brothers, that bigger was better, not in this season. So we try to encourage folks to be contextual, 
but sometimes smaller and longer paced and longer stretched out is a better framework over time for community and indigenous and admissional context. No, oh, love all that. Love all that. The center church should be required reading for every pastor, I think. Oh, absolutely. I have all our church planners read it, but the pastors should read it too. It's so thorough. Absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> thorough. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Dr. Keller was a professor at Westminster Theological. So, you know, he is systematic. And yes, so, yeah, is. it is very thorough, yeah. very thorough. But for those that don't want to devour it all at once, the book is divided into three. You can buy it as three yes. separate books too, right? You can buy so, it, three, yeah, you can well, buy it into three separate books. Yeah. It makes it less intimidating. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so Michael, the original version, that's right. The original version was real thick. Yeah. yeah. Like Big it text, it's a textbook, yeah. really. It's a yeah. textbook. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. So, Michael, since moving into this role, how have your eyes been open to the great need for church planting and church planting networks in global cities? Oh, wow. I'm, I'm going to tell you, no, no one church can do it. And in a globalized city like New York, you can reach nations just on one block. But when you turn the corner from that block, your missiology has got to change. Why? Because the economics and the context and the people groups change. Yeah. That's globalized cities. Yeah. Multiple narratives, multiple cultures, multiple, you know, historical backgrounds and the social and cultural sensibilities to be effective and evangelizing spiritual formation and church planting are absolutely necessary. So what am I saying? We need networks and we need church planters of varied backgrounds and varied, varied formations and um, perspectives if we're going to be effective. Church planting, uh, in my opinion, you know, when I was a church planter, and you never stop being a church planter. Yeah. You never stop being entrepreneurial. You never stop. If you have that apostolic grace, wherever you go, something's going to grow because you're going to be so frustrated and not seeing something new happening. And you will start to take apart what you've built and then rebuild it. Mm. I mean, that, that that's my thing. I can't be someplace too long. That's why I love this job, because it just keeps me on the move all over the region. Mm. You know, but I see a need for networks that are that are. And we work with all, uh, one of them I, I, I celebrate is the New Thing Network. Oh, yeah. They're doing it huge. Dave Ferguson, John Ferguson, um, they're doing it huge. They're close friends, not just in Exponential, but in what they're doing in Chicagoland. The new, the Chicago Partnership on the Derek uh, Putnick and uh, John Dennis. Let me do some name dropping for missional networks that I know they're doing it. Yeah. Larry Acosta and on the West Coast is doing it. I mean, and it's, it's, um, it's absolutely necessary. We see the anemia in our church planting pre-COVID. We see the anemia in our discipleship uh, and church life, in our ecclesiology pre-COVID. We need a new narrative that's contextual and strategic, and we cannot do it with just one drawing board. We need everybody in the room and have several drawing boards, and that's what new churches and new networks do. They bring different perspectives. Everyone has a little bit of a different nuance, and that's rich. And that's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way God intended it, in my opinion. So if the city is going to survive and God's heart is for the city, we have to have church plant networks and new church plant movements and new den and denominations that are coming into regions missionally, incarnationally, not trying to assimilate or colonize the indigenous, but come in and truly discern the heart of the spirit and then plant and meet folks right where they're at. And uh, those types of networks that I mentioned do that and do that well. Yeah. Well, I know that, uh, you know, the last numbers that I heard is that we need, what, 3,900 churches planted a year just in the U.S. to keep up with U.S. population. 
yep. uh, a net gain of that. And we're only seeing what about a 400 net gain. So we have got yep. some work to do and it's not going to get done without people working together. And, and I would push gently. I would gently push back against the 3,900 and say, there's probably more like 4,500. Oh my goodness. You have to have room for attrition. You have to yeah. have room that are going to, some right. people start a church, not because, <laughs> unfortunately, some people start a church, not because they're called, or sent, yeah. Yeah. but because yeah. they have an attitude with the past. Yes, that's true. Call that out. And so we got to screen some things. Some people shouldn't plant. Yeah, amen. Some pe- and you got to be able to tell them that. And, and that becomes a challenge. You know, our relationship with CMA is so strong because of the honesty, transparency, and the partnership uh, where we can tell each other, listen, I know you like that guy, but the, the, <laughs> these are the deficiencies that we've identified. Yeah. Take it and do what you want. Yeah. And so... We appreciate that because Kelvin really, Kelvin cares. Yep. He cares for his church. He cares for his planters, and um, every 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 movement over here does. They want the, they want to do the right thing and see Jesus high and lifted up. Amen. So we got a we need obviously interdenominational collaboration, but I think we also need in our denomination more in alliance collaboration. So I'd like to, if we can go down both those roads for our alliance churches that are saying, you know, maybe they've got a bunch of churches within a a reasonable area. What, where do they need to start uh, to start collaborating together for church planning? Well, I, I would say they need to start tapping into what Kelvin and Mozart are doing and what they're being exposed to. I would also say looking for the emerging leadership, because this is the other thing. Everyone's looking for a farming system or for a farm for new leadership. And unfortunately, a lot of, not just Alliance, but a lot of uh, movements don't know how to farm their own churches, mm. don't know how to create spaces of growth. Yeah. And uh, so mentoring to find leadership and to season leadership and sometimes to to make way for new outside leadership to come in and speak to. So making a self-assessment of their local churches, of their of their of their community churches coming together. It starts with it starts with the alliance coming together among the alliance and discerning and assessing what's in our churches, who's in our churches, not who's likable, who's called, because a lot of church planting is based on, unfortunately, the heresy of likability and celebrity status, and that's got to be deconstructed. So who do we feel there's calling and grace for gathering and grace for true true evangelism, Uh, not someone trying to sell a product, but someone trying to introduce others to Jesus. So coming together first within your region or your or whatever you you call the jurisdiction, district. Uh, yeah, district. Coming to your district, assessing the district, identifying some of the historical cultural tensions, right? Lamenting those tensions, and then now, why do I say that? Because there's a Latino CMA element as well. There's an American CMA element, and those two do they work together? And if they don't, somebody needs to get them together, repent for whatever. Whoever, whatever, let's start a new thing in Jesus' name Amen. together. Amen. I think because that's my job, we, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Thanks amen, for reminding brother. me. But <laughs> <laughs> well, bringing them to bringing them together and healing, because I really believe no denomination that has attention in itself yep. can bring in new things. You mm. need new wine, but you need new wine skin to hold the new wine. Yes. And that new wine skin is an assessment. And healing first, and then moving mission. What's Missio Day for that region? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I, you know, one thing that that uh, Kelvin does really well, 
there was uh, there was there was some teaching needed around the whole George Floyd protest. Why churches? Why should a church get involved? Why should we be concerned about white nationalism and, and what has it done to the church uh, as far as splitting and polarization? Kelvin gathered all the churches, had outside speakers come in and intentionally yep, talk yep. about it. Yep. Let's talk about a biblical theology, a theological response, and where we are honestly. I know because I, I got the feedback for some of the folks there, and there were some there were some uh, white pastors that raised their hand in total transparency and said, "You know, I am so glad I attended this because I just had no idea to how insensitive or it wasn't on my peripheral. I just." Unless you put yourself in the place of the other or the marginalized, you don't understand their pain. Yeah. And so, you know, things like that, those are rich. Those turn the corner and bring about revival because mm-hmm. you're owning systemic sin, historical sin, even mm-hmm. within denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep. And, and then and then the, the, the lament, the repent, now revival can come. Praise God. Uh, we see this all throughout the church and antiquity and historically. So yeah, that yeah. would be the best way to do that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so, Michael, we're going to wrap it up here, but I want to give you one last chance, uh, thinking of an alliance pastor or leader sitting and listening to this. They're looking out into their community. There's a lot of spiritual darkness in their community. They might feel a little bit overwhelmed by it all. Give them a little exhortation and encouragement to uh, get out there and, and uh, get after reaching lost people. I would say this, that uh, all of us are called uh, to be bruised healers. Mm. We're all bruised healers. We're all broken and our brokenness and our surrender of our brokenness to our Christ, our Yeshua, is what makes us beautifully called and different than those in the world. We don't hold on to the bitterness. We surrender it. But in our honesty and transparency of articulating our brokenness to a broken world, it attracts them from their brokenness into our space where they can meet our healer. They can meet our Rose of Sharon, our Lily of the Valley, our Prince of Peace. And I really believe that CMA is at the is at the pivotal door, especially in my region, to bring about a transformation that's both word and power, word and spirit. Yes. And that's only going to happen in a, in a, in a, if my people who are called by my name Amen. will humble themselves and pray, Amen. right, and come back. Then the Bible says, then the text says, I will listen and I will heal the land. Uh, pastors, all of us are broken. All of us, you know, my church made national news in, in the Washington Post. You can Google it. This is real. We lost 15 people in our church, wow. 15 fatalities. My first fatality was not a senior citizen. It was a, it was an 11-year-old boy wow. in our charter school. And um, after that, it was phone call after phone call. I had PTSD. I had to go to therapy uh, within 21, 2021, and even up into uh, early parts of 22, just to process, put that in its right place, and not internalize it because they moved on and people left. It's not your fault. Don't own that, you know, and they're his people, not ours. Mm-hmm. Never forget that we're stewards, right? Never Amen. forget that it's his church. Never forget. And if we ever start using language like my, 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 it's idolatry and we need to repent. Amen. And so ultimate, ultimately to come into a place of accepting that we are broken and then articulating our brokenness and then pursuing healing and communitas. Look for the Kelvins. Look for you, uh, Terry, the bishops that can speak and walk with planters and pastors and then go out there in the name that is above every name and start small. Listen, do not despise a small beginning. Do not let go of the truth 
that um, bigger is better and start small and let's reignite. Matter of fact, we're not going to a new thing. It's an old thing. Acts, first couple of chapters of Acts, it was minimalist gatherings that started uh, the movement of the church, you know, but we've got to come out of the upper room for real. Acts chapter two, we're anointed in the upper room, but the church just birthed in the street. Get out of the upper room yeah. and get into the street yeah. and look drunk and let people ask you, Why, what, what is this? <laughs> I've been healed. And I got to tell you, I've been healed. Yeah. You get it? Amen. So may Praise that be God. the exhortation. Praise God. Love it, my brother. Thanks for Woo! taking the time to be with us Amen. today. Amen. And uh, we look forward to a continued alliance partnership with you yes. for the sake of advancing Christ's kingdom for his glory. Amen. Man, thank you, brother. I'm so glad we had you on here. We needed a the fired up thing here today, and we needed our thinking corrected along the way too. Not just the motivation, but yep. the, the changing, the maturing of our Amen. perspective for collaboration. Amen. 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 So God bless you, my brother, as you continue the work of the Lord. Thank you. God bless you all, and uh, looking forward to working more with the CMA. And so privileged and proud of my CMA education and formation. Amen. I'm part of your family, even though I'm in a different part of the we accept you we claim you <laughs> we, we claim you, you. <laughs> claim me it's okay Amen. all right name it claim it man <laughs> in this case we'll accept that yeah that's right. amen 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 all right god bless you all you too well michael makes the interviewer's job easy alan yeah that was a piece of cake uh ask one question you've wound him up and let him go. Yeah. He'll answer four or five in the process and give you great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The stories, the truth, the perspective, uh, man, how God had his hand on him uh, through calling him, saving him, and just giving him, you know, he, God put all the right people in his life for him to yep. be equipped to do what he's doing today. And he's the kind of guy that I'm like, I'd like to check in with him like 15 years now and see what he's doing then because I just feel like he's going to continue to reach far and wide. Amen. Grateful for the Alliance partnership in the midst of all of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And I shout out. I was not aware of. I was aware of it because it's my region in the Northeast region. Go. So there I am go. happy to say that I knew about that uh, and happy that they're connecting with uh, Calvin and, and Mo Dixon. What uh, good guys and a good partnership. And wow, 100 so, churches in 10 years. Yep. Hope you're fired up after listening to this uh, episode. Next episode, we'll be talking to chad hall will go down south to hickory north carolina and talk to chad hall from coach approach meanwhile keep the faith thank you for joining us on this episode of the equipping you podcast if you liked this episode please consider subscribing and rating our channel we hope you will join us for our next episode for more information on this podcast and other ministries of the alliance visit equippingyou.org.